Welcome to the Next Education Workforce, a podcast on redesigning education for learners and educators. I'm Brent Madden, Executive Director of Next Education Workforce at Arizona State University's Mary Lou Fulton Teachers College. Today, I'm so excited to be joined by Dr. Richard Ingersoll, Professor of Education and Sociology at the University of Pennsylvania. He's a leading expert on America's teaching force, and he's published over 100 articles, reports, chapters, and essays on topics such as the management and organization of schools, teachers' supply, demand, and turnover, induction and mentoring for beginning teachers, the problem of underqualified teachers, changes in the demographic character of the teaching force, and the status of teaching as a profession. So, Dr. Richard Ingersoll, thank you so much uh, for joining us today. Brent, thanks for having me. Glad to be on. What are the three big ideas or topics uh, that you'll bring with you to the convening in January? I do a lot of different research on different aspects of teachers and the teaching job and the character of schools. The first has to do with whether the types and breadth and depth and kinds of amounts of pre-service education and preparation teachers get, whether that has any bearing on their retention, on their durability on the job. A second project is, in what ways has the teaching force in this country, the elementary secondary teaching force, changed, if at all, over the last few decades? We started several years ago. We didn't know what we'd find. And we discovered that, in fact, teaching, which, by the way, is one of the largest occupations, one of the largest workforces in the country, has been undergoing over the last 30 years dramatic large-scale changes with very big implications that almost no one is on top of. They will be because of the implications. And we've just gotten recent national data. We're updating to see what the various trends we've discovered have continued. And so that's a second project that I'll be talking about. The third project is the much-discussed crisis over the minority teacher shortage. So the argument, which many of you have heard, is that the teaching force doesn't look like America along racial ethnic grounds. And indeed, many believe that it's getting worse. This gap is getting worse. And there's a great deal of concern about this. Many states have minority teacher recruitment initiatives. Some foundations have spent tens of millions of dollars on minority teacher recruitment programs of various sorts. So our project was to bring the national data to bear. The facts. Okay, how many minority teachers do we have? Has that changed over time? Has that gone up and down? What's the rate of change? How does it compare to the rate of change of minority students? How does it compare to non-minority white teachers? What kinds of schools do minority teachers get employed in? Are they evenly distributed across the country, so to speak, or are they, is it mixed? What are the sources of the problem with insufficient numbers of minority teachers? So that's a third project. These are all related projects that I'll be speaking about at the virtual convening in January. You've done a ton of work in looking at the educator workforce longitudinally using large data sets. Are there any things that you see in looking at these data that uh, sort of run counter to the conventional wisdom? One thing is the research we've done on whether pre-service education and preparation of teachers get, whether that has any bearing on retention. One of the interesting findings is that the the how to teach stuff, the pedagogy, the methods courses, not the what, not the content, the pedagogical stuff which is often maligned, 
critics call it a waste of time, let's get rid of it. It turns out that has the strongest relation to retention. That is that it, it doesn't matter so much for retention is, is your outcome here. It doesn't matter so much whether you have an education degree or an academic degree in you know math or biology or English. It doesn't so matter much whether you went through a traditional route or alternative route. It doesn't matter the caliber of college. But what does matter in terms of retention is how much practice teaching you got, how many courses you got in methods and how to do it, those types of things are strongly related to retention. And so that's a challenge for that one chunk of conventional wisdom out there, which doesn't like schools of education, which doesn't like pedagogy, which doesn't like preparation, and which in in the strongest case thinks it's all a waste of time. Well, it's not a waste of time necessarily at all. So these educators are sticking around longer in the profession that have had these more immersive or or different sorts of pre-service experiences. Are you able to look into the data to see any kind of variation, any suggestion as the sorts of pre-service experiences pedagogically, length of time of, say, a student teaching experience, any of that bear out in the data? For instance, let's take practice teaching, student teaching that you go in with actual children or teenagers. And it turns out this is very important in terms of the durability of the teachers. Now, as a former high school teacher, this is something of a no-brainer to me. I mean, the, the practice teaching where you really do it with real life teenagers is an eye-opener, is a valuable experience. And it's also a way of deciding, do I want to really continue with this job path I'm on to become a teacher? But it turns out in this country, there's huge variations in what we require of prospective teachers. So, for instance, nationally, about a fifth of new teachers have never had any practice or student teaching at all. Their first day on the job is their first day around kids or teenagers. And the data show that those who haven't had any practice teaching, they quit after just one year at very high rates. The point there is that it varies dramatically in what we require of these people to become teachers, and it makes a difference. Let's talk about that, uh, this idea of a first-year teacher. If you had a magic wand and you could, you know, flick it around and change something or a set of conditions that novice first-year first couple of years teachers experience that might lead to them sticking around in the profession longer. What would be some of those changes that you've seen bear out in the data, in addition to the pre-service training that you just described? I would require at least a semester of that. I mean, the data tell us that those with a semester more practice teaching have better retention. Well, the other thing I would do, and this is a different research project, is the whole issue of support and help. We often use the term induction. One of the main components is mentoring. That is, a senior teacher is assigned to the junior teachers, the the new hires, to help them learn the ropes. Traditionally, the life of a beginning teacher is very difficult in this country, and we had these terms like, you know, a wash at sea and trial by fire and terms like this. I'm one of those who's done, run the data showing that, you know, between 40 and 50% of those that go into teaching are gone within five years. And so there's been a recognition this is a problem. I mean, of course, you don't want all those new people to stick around. Some of them maybe shouldn't be teachers. On the other hand, you're losing an awful lot of people before they've had a chance to get really good because we do have research showing that it takes a few years of experience before you really get good at it. 
Support and induction is very important once on the job. There's a need to make improvements in the pre-employment, the pre-service preparation, but there's also a need to sort of on the first couple years of the job, let's have some support there. That's very important to do. And we have strong research showing that that makes a difference in terms of teacher retention, in terms of the quality of their instructional practices, and in student achievement scores. So on that point around student achievement and ways that we might help kids learn and grow more, not just in terms of academics, but in terms of other uh, social emotional uh, growth and development, we have this emerging hypothesis that a single teacher in a room by him or herself, especially a novice, but any teacher, this is just a really hard job, maybe even untenable. And so we're thinking differently about staffing and workforce design, thinking about bringing teams of teachers, you know, a mix of experts and relative rookies to the work, people with really specific skills, maybe members of the community who have some deep content knowledge uh, that they can be part of this team. What's your reaction as you hear that, the idea of teams of teachers coming around kids to improve outcomes for the kids and also hopefully outcomes for the teachers? What do you think? Think we're think we're onto something? Yes, I think it's a wonderful idea. I mean, when you study the history of the public school system, you had these one-room schoolhouses, and we had this consolidation, and school districts were formed, and we had what's called the egg crate model. You, you know, in essence, put a whole bunch of one-room schoolhouses as if they were autonomous units under one big roof, and we continued this model. I mean, the other metaphor was the factory line, the assembly line in the factory, where you'd have all these school classrooms in a row. And, and of course, one of the longstanding criticisms and complaints is teachers are isolated, that this is naturally a teamwork to work with kids. So it's sort of socially cooperative. It needs collaboration. I mean, you know, the good school is like a family, but we've designed it and set it up a way as if these autonomous units, in other words, the structure didn't really fit the process, so to speak. And so what you're proposing actually is a wonderful idea, but it's a large structural change. It's probably not going to be easy. You know, it's easy to sort of plug in new individuals. It's less easy to change the design. And in in this case, a design that's been there for a century. Have you seen any places where something like this is happening or successful? A big sort of challenge to the, the idea of a grammar of schooling. There's a model out there that I like a lot. I think it's very promising. It's a small but growing movement of what's called teacher-led, teacher-run schools. They mimic, for instance, law or accountants uh, partnerships where, you know, the the, the partners, the senior lawyers, accountants, it's theirs. They own it. They run it. They manage it. They decide on everything. And also they're accountable. And so there's this growing movement uh, across the U.S. of these teacher-run schools. And one of the things they do often, and we've now had some research on these, is that they break down this old design. They have a whole lot more collaboration. There's a whole lot more personalized learning that when teachers call the shots, it seems to go in that very direction that you're talking about. My last question for you today, Richard, is what should I and others be, you know, reading, paying attention to? Like what's, uh, what's caught your attention as of late that's maybe worthy of our intellectual pursuit? There's this growing literature on this concept it's sort of the professional model. You know, the professional model is you get these experts, doctors, lawyers, accountants, engineers, architects, and they have a lot of self-governance. 
They have a lot of autonomy. They design the rules. They design the curriculum. You know, that they're, they're self-governing. This is the way professions are. So this teacher-run school model that I was discussing, in a sense, is it's sort of the most professionalized model I've ever seen of K-12 teaching. And there's a growing literature. There's a student out at University of Minnesota has done a dissertation. She's just finished in some of these. There's several books out. So to me, that's sort of an exciting literature out there. And you know, let's not pretend that these models are going to be easy. Let's not pretend that they're necessarily going to be some panacea. And of course, they vary a lot because part of it is if you decentralize and the teachers call the shots a lot, well, they'll go different directions. I mean, depending on what they perceive to be the problems they're dealing with, etc. So that to me is a small but important reform and it's got a growing literature. Richard, thank you so much for your time uh, today. And as always, we really look forward to seeing you in January It's been a pleasure to be with you. Brent, thanks for having me. That was Dr. Richard Ingersoll of the University of Pennsylvania, a featured expert at the Next Education Workforce, Building the Next Normal, convening that we're hosting in January. To register for that event, visit workforce.education.asu.edu, where you can also learn more about our work and how to engage with us. You can also check out the show notes for details and a link. Make sure you subscribe for more conversations with education experts. We also love hearing your feedback. So tag us on social with hashtag Next Education Workforce. Thanks for listening. Be well, be safe, keep learning. Until next time.